Uh, good morning again. Good to see you all uh, as we continue to navigate our way through this, this uh, COVID return. Some of you may not have been with us on, on site for a long time. This may have been maybe, maybe your first time back in the church. Um, so I pray it's a blessing for you as well and welcome back to you. Uh, for those who are online, I hope it's all clear and you can hear us uh, clearly uh, this morning. We're going to spend a moment to, to pray and ask the Lord's blessing uh, upon us. Um, after a time of worship, we, we come and we remember that this is a time where we, uh, we worship God because of out, of out of a heart of thankfulness and gratefulness to the Lord. Uh, sometimes worship can get mistaken with singing. <clears throat> sometimes you, know, you can get mistaken worship with just the time of to sing you know, and to have time to sing as a church. Um, but we know as Christians, and if you've been Christian long enough, you'll know that worship isn't a time of singing as such, but it's a time of worshipping. You know, it's a time of giving our, our gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. It's a time of great endearment and, and love, expression of love for the one that has saved us and rescued us. Uh, and so when we come, that's what we do uh, during, that time of, during that time of worship. So join me as we pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing uh, upon his word this morning uh, and pray that our hearts are open to receive the very thing that God wants to tell you and speak to you about. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that you are a God who knows our every need and you are a very present help in time of need. Lord, we need just to look up in faith and to believe with all our hearts that you are a God who cares for your people. And you have called us out of this world, Father, not by accident. You've called us out of this world for a very, this very time, this very place to do what you want us to do. And I pray this morning that you may speak into our lives and speak into our hearts and share with us those things that we really need to hear. Make it clear to all of us, Lord, young and old, make it clear to us uh, the very thing that you want to share with us this morning. And pray, Lord God, that you continue to guide us and, and lead us uh, this morning in all that we so and do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so here we are another morning to, to, um, to listen to God's word. And I pray this morning that as you, as you listen to God's word, that you're very open again to hear the things that God, has to, the things that God wants to say to you. You know, this is, this is where it all really matters. At the end of the day, you can, you can live and say and do all the things that you want to do in life but at the end of the day, what you're going to be really wanting to ask yourself is, is, am I listening very carefully to the things that God is actually asking from me? Is, am I listening very carefully to the things that God's trying to communicate to me? And I'm always amazed at how much God is trying to communicate to people, how God is very faithful in communicating himself to people in many, many different ways. And yet people, it's like um, they're just passing through and, all, and the voice of God is just going over their heads. They're just not even seeing the goodness and the glory of God and and ultimately, it's to their, to their loss and, and sadly, one day to their death. But, but uh, I pray this morning that you really listen to what God has to say. Now, someone might think to themselves, what do you mean? Am I going to hear God's voice? Am I going to hear like a sound of God's voice? Uh, and I'm going to hear this this morning. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. God has given us his word, his most precious word called the Bible. And in the Bible is God's word. And God speaks to us through his word. And what happens when we listen to God's word and our hearts are open to hear God's word, his spirit, God's spirit comes and speaks into your life and into your heart in such a way that it kind of you start to understand what God's asking of you and what God's expecting from you. And at that point, at that point, you need to say, yes, Lord, I will. 
Yes, Lord, I'll do what you're, what you're asking me to do. And in that point, you begin to see and understand the purpose of God in your life. You, it begins to get unfolded uh, in your life. You begin to see more clearly, this is the very existence and the very reason that I live on this earth. It's a famous question that people have asked for centuries. It's, it's a famous, famous question that people always ask. And they ask themselves and they try and resolve this big question of life is why am I on this earth? Why do I even exist? Why am I here? A big question of why I'm even here. And some people have attempted to answer this question. Even, I would even say humorously they began to sort of try and answer this question for themselves because they're trying to do it in a way that is leaving God out of the picture. Now, I understand that because if you don't believe in God, you want to try and still answer that question, why am I even here? Why do I even exist on this earth? You know? And I get that because it's, a, it's something that God has placed in our soul, in our being, to be able to want to answer this question. So if you're going to try and answer this question away, uh, uh, apart from God, you're going to come up with all kinds of theories and understandings. And some of them are going to be quite funny because you know, how do you do that without putting God in the picture? But as some people have tried to suggest that, um, as, we've, as some theories have suggested, we've evolved over time. And as we've evolved over time, you uh, now exist on this earth because somehow by chance this has been the time that you, that, that you have been permitted, so to speak, to be on this earth because it's, it's evolved in this way. And I think to myself that by, by chance you've been... Permitted by chance, you have been. Uh, you've come to this stage of life. You've, you're living now in this existence. It's almost like it's some kind of accident that it just happens to be the case that now, in this time, in this history, you are here. And I think, wow, that just rips you off so much. That just rips people off so much. That by chance you're here. That by accident you're here. And I think to myself, how sad to bring a generation up that says to them, you know what, you're this little thing in this massive universe that by some chance you happen to be here and that you've got to somehow find your purpose in this life. Wow, that's tough on them. That's tough on a generation to say, go and find it for yourself. When the Bible's so rich and so full of, of purpose and meaning that, that goes completely against this idea that doesn't say that's a, by some chance you've kind of made it into this earth and now you've got to go out and find some purpose that hopefully you'll find one day, but rather that here is a God that by every intention of his heart and every purpose of his love and every plan in his mind said to you, now, now, this time is the time I wanted you to exist and I created you for a purpose that would be fulfilled in this time. Wow, all of a sudden life changes. I'm no longer some insignificant thing that somehow made it onto this earth, but rather I'm created and made intentionally by God and by his design because he has a very specific purpose for me in this life at this time. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So much so that now I can open my heart and say, Lord, okay, what is it? I'm not here by accident, and I don't continue to exist by accident, but for the very purpose that you've placed me here for. And so all of a sudden I have this responsibility and this joy and this privilege to find it, to come close to it, to touch it, and to be completely and greatly fulfilled by it. 
Because now God is at the center of it and no longer myself. No longer am I trying to unravel like some sort of uh, a quiz as to what life's purpose is. But God has made it very clear for me. And now it's asking me to walk in it, to fulfill it, to complete it. And so now here I am with, set in my mind for the rest of this year and my, the rest of my life. What is it that God has for me? All of us, every Sunday that are in this room and that come to church on a Sunday morning, walk into this building every Sunday morning and pass, pass a very significant sign that is on the walls of this building at the front. And I wonder how many people actually see that that sign at the wall at the front or they just see a red building, red brick building or do they see on the left hand side as you walk in a very significant sign that is in somewhat the identity of why we exist on this earth and the very purpose that God has continued to allow us to be on this earth. It was, it was plastered there, it was built into the wall there back in 1925 and it still is relevant today and it says this, It doesn't say for we exist, but the purpose, it says this, for the glory of God and for the helping of man. For the glory of God and for the helping of man. And I believe they are two beautiful things that as as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we continue to find ultimate purpose in in these two very profound statements, that we live for the glory of God and for the helping of man. Didn't Jesus say that to first love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself? And all scattered throughout all of the scriptures, if you look through all of the scriptures, you're going to see these themes repeated again and again and again throughout all of the scriptures that the people of God who are called out of this world, out of a place of darkness into a place of light, have found their life and their existence being called to live for the glory of God. And have called not to live no longer for themselves in some kind of selfish capacity, but rather for the helping of others. And I find when we come to this place where we are able to say to ourselves, when we can align our own desires to the desire and the heart of God, we find great fulfillment in life. Rather than playing around with things that we think are meaningful, only to find as we get older, that what was this? This was kind of useless in life. It's like, you know, those uh, toys, those little toys, you go to Bunnings or other stores, and they're, they're like little toys where they pretend to be the real tool. And, and people buy them for their children, like little pretend lawnmowers or, or drills or spanners. And they, they buy them for their children because it's kind of nice. Because, you know, as mum or dad's working on something, they've got their little pretend lawnmower. And these little pretend tools that are being played with all the time, they're fantastic and they're lovely and they're exciting and they're, they're new and they're novel for the child. Until one day you look back and you think to yourself, but, but they're still toys. And they're toys that I'm playing with, thinking to myself at the time that they're really significant and amazing and great, only to realize at the end of the day they're not the real deal. They're not the real thing. And how many people, how many times in your life can you honestly say that you've played around with things in life thinking that they're going to bring meaning and hope and purpose in your life only to find that they've been toys, they've they've been insignificant, they've they've been kind of really brought you to nothing and no real joy or fulfillment. Only to find that this is really the time where there's a step up and say, hang on, I want the real deal. I want the real thing. It's time for me to grab hold of the things that are real and make real difference in life. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, come, let me show you what that is. You know, the Lord Jesus said something really significant on this earth. He said this, when the the disciples were talking to him, 
and they'd gone to get him food and they were urging him to eat because uh, they, they, you know, they wanted to give him food to eat and he said to them something very significant. He says, you know, my food, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, he's saying to them, my reason for existence, my purpose, my whole life goal, the thing that sustains me, the thing that keeps me going is to do the will of him that sent me. And that's really significant because I believe this is the same heart and the same attitude that every person who exists should have on this earth. It's the same heart as the Lord Jesus Christ that says, you know what, I'll tell you what my food is. I'll tell you what my appetite is. I'll tell you that the very thing that sustains me in life is this. It's to do the will of God who sent me to do the will of God who created me. It's to do the will of God who placed me on this earth. And the very thing that's going to keep me eating in life and sustained in life is this very purpose. What happens is this, though. You start munching on other things, other appetites, other loves, other interests. And all of a sudden you find this. Christian, I'm talking to you as well. All of a sudden you find this. You lose an appetite for the things of God because you're full. The toys are working. They're satisfying for a moment. And you've lost lost sight of the big picture of your very existence. All of a sudden, you've brought yourself back. You've lowered yourself back to a place where you're here by chance to munch on as much as you can, as quickly as you can before you go. And God wants to remind us this morning, come back to the food that really matters. Have an appetite that really matters. My food is to do the will of him that sent me. Jesus said this, that where your heart is, sorry, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And if your treasure is on all the earthly things in life, trying to get as much as you can, stash them in the the, the bag of this world, as much, the bag of life, as much as quickly as you can, you're going to lose sight. And that's where your heart is going to be. You're going to lose sight of this big picture and this big purpose that God has called you to. So if you like, let's, let's change our diet. Let's look at what Jesus tells us. Let's look at what the Bible tells us, that we are called, each and every one of us, to live for the glory of God and for the helping of Man, what is the glory of God? Let me read a verse out to you uh, about this. And while we're doing this, can I get you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3? Uh, we're going to read a short story from Acts chapter 3 that some of you are, some of you are familiar with. And um, I want to I share how this story in Acts chapter 3 is a beautiful picture of how God has called us to live for his glory and for the helping of, of other people. To be able to step out of a, a selfish lifestyle, if you like, and into a lifestyle that is full of Christ and full of his purpose, his purpose for us. But when it comes to the glory of God, uh, I want us to, to understand some things here. Back in the book of Isaiah, God was comforting and reassuring his people. Way back, the prophet Isaiah was basically saying to his people, look, don't you realize that I'm with you wherever you are? Even through the deep troubles of life, even through the fires and even through the waters, I'm with you. And he wants to reassure them and he wants to comfort his people that I know sometimes life is really, really tough. Now, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure you are, 
You've had moments in life, perhaps seasons in life, perhaps longer than you've wanted, where, mo- where life has been really, really tough. And God is reminding his people, even through those waters, you won't be drowned. Even through those fires, you will not be burned. And then he says something to them soon after that. He says this to them. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now listen to the voice of God and what he's trying to say to his people. Do you understand something here? I called you by my name and I created you for my glory. In other words, the way I've actually designed and wired you is so that you would go off and live for my glory. You would go off and live in a way that would show people in this world just how great and amazing and awesome and wonderful I am. You'd go off and live in a way that honours my name and honours my word, in a way that goes against the, the crowd of this life and shows them still that God lives and God reigns and God is good. He goes, I, I created you for this purpose. I created you not to live for your own glory and for your own kingdom and for your own life and hoping that you would get as much as you can out of this life because at the end of the day, that's all going to be futile and come to an end. But I've created you for one specific reason, that I created you for my glory. And I think that's a fair deal. If God created, then God's entitled to say what he's created for. He says, I created you for my glory. And I created, he says, and I, whom I formed you and, sorry, and I made. Then if you fast forward all the way through into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, that was the prophet Isaiah, but then the Apostle Paul wants to again highlight to the church that the same God exists and the same purpose of living exists. And he says something quite profound that lots and lots of Christians quote all the the time, but perhaps they don't really understand what it means all the time. He says this, and so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do all to the glory of God. And so the Apostle Paul wanted to remind us that as Christians, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're out there working and if you're out with your family, if you're raising children, if you're mowing the lawn, if you're doing grocery shopping, if you're at work, if you're hanging out with friends, because whatever you're doing, whether you eat or drink, you do for the glory of God. Your life is not your own. And all of a sudden when the Christian can step out of perhaps a self-centered, self-focused perspective and look all of a sudden at the perspective that life is so much bigger than me, all of a sudden their desire aligns with the will of God and they find great fulfillment. Dare I say even the greatest joy. Because now all of a sudden they're experiencing life as God's designed it to be. They're not chasing toys. They're not chasing things that are going to to dissolve over time and and not be able to go with you after death. They're, They're finding life as God purposed it. So that whatever they're doing, whether they're eating or drinking, they're living they're doing it for the glory, they're doing for the glory of God. And they're also now living for the helping of man, if you like. That men and women are on our radar always to be people who we extend a hand out to. And when we extend a hand out to these people, what they're experiencing all of a sudden is a touch from heaven. Do you understand that? 
They're not experiencing my goodness or my generosity, though they are initially. What they're really experiencing is a touch from the hand of God. What they're really experiencing is the love and the mercy of God. Now, should, should everyone be entitled to that? Absolutely. doesn't matter who they are. I don't go looking for people who are worthy of my help. I don't go turning around and saying, oh, because you're this person, you should get it, and because you're that person, no, you shouldn't get it. Or you're this background, so you should have it. No, you're that background, so you shouldn't have it. Oh, you're that colour, yes, you should. No, you're that colour, no, you shouldn't. That, that's, that would be bizarre if God started to discriminate against who should be helped. Did you know the Bible teaches us that every single person is made in the image of God? Do you understand what that means? That every single person, regardless of their background, regardless of their religion, regardless of their culture, regardless of who they are, are made in the image of God. God said right at the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and in his image and in his likeness, he made them male and female. Isn't that amazing? In other words... People are designed and made to be, to, to, to demonstrate and to live out the characteristics of God. Their ability to be able to love like He does, and to have mercy like He does, and to forgive like He does, and to care like He does, and, and, and to help like He does. And, and perhaps you can even argue, you can take that even a step further and to say to be creative like He is and productive like He is. But they are made in the image of God. And as Christians, we are called to return to this glorious image because it's been damaged by sin. But nonetheless, every single person is made in this image and every single person is worthy to have your hand reached out to them and say, here, I want you to experience something of heaven, something of the mercy and the love of God. And it only takes a heart of sin to discriminate. And to say, you know what? Not interested. Because life again is about me. But the capacity to look outward and to help others, and the capacity to look upward and give glory to God is the very existence, the very purpose of why we're here. Don't lose sight, brothers and sisters. Don't lose sight. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John shows us this how they were able to live life. In fact, all of Acts, all of Acts is a beautiful example how God's people are living out for his glory and for the helping of other people. And in chapter 3, I want to read this story. I just want to read a little bit of this story and, uh, and, and, and just share some thoughts with you regarding the very purpose and existence of who we are and why we are here today. And so here they are, Peter and John, verse 1. They go up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, and it's the ninth hour. Now, the ninth hour generally starts from about 6 a.m., so the ninth hour is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And here they are going up to the temple to pray. And in verse 2, the Bible says, And a certain man who was lame, who couldn't walk from his mother's womb, in other words, he couldn't walk from birth, was carried whom they lay daily at the gates of the temple, which is called Beautiful. He asked alms or financial help from those who entered the temple. So here's it. 
poor man who couldn't walk from the time he was born, and they would bring him to the temple and this beautiful gate, or this gate that's called beautiful at the, at the start of this temple. Here, here they just placed him, and he just begged for money. He just begged for money. And, and, and I get that. Because in his mind and in his heart, that's the best he could beg for. That's the best he could understand. All he could really understand in life is, I can't walk and I want to be able to get some help. And in his mind, he'd got to a place in life where he thought to himself that this is the best I can actually ask for. What else can I really ask for? No one's going to make me better. No one's going to heal my legs. And so he'd reached a point where the best thing he could ask people for was money because he needed to get through in life. He couldn't work. Perhaps he was kind of a bit of an outcast because of who he was. And so he needed something very practical. He needed money. And I was thinking to myself, this man had got himself to a place in life where what he thought was the best he could ask for brought him to a place where that's all he asked for. And I was thinking to this world today and many people who live in this world today and how really they've thought to themselves because they think of life as being so much about themselves they don't understand anymore that life is far greater than just their circumstances. And so when they ask for help, they're no longer looking up to a God who's able to ask for help, able to deliver them because they no longer believe this is even possible. They've, they've limited their, all, their whole capacity and their ability to be really helped the way they can be helped because they fail to believe. Yeah, I need some help, so can you help me uh, uh, feel better? I need some help so you can help me communicate better. I need some help so you can help me kind of have um, more motivation in life. And they, they ask for help in ways that are so limited to this earth that they don't realize that they need to look up and see there is more something far greater than what they're asking for, and that is a touch from God himself. So they just walk through life hoping to survive, getting help where they can get it. And I don't blame this man because he got to the place in life where, where this, was, this was where he was at. But the beautiful thing for this man is he came across two disciples who saw life very, very differently. Who saw life was not lived so limited by these things, but is able to be lived out through the eyes and the heart of God himself. And to look at, be able to look upon this man and say, wow, we see your condition, but God has something far greater for you. Isn't it, aren't we grateful that these are how the disciples lived? Isn't this something we ought to be grateful for? That these men and women gave their lives for the purpose of Christ the way they were called to give it. I don't know what's happened over the generations something's happened all of a sudden over the generations when when christianity when faith was lived out as it was all to be lived in other words you give your life to jesus christ and you give everything about your life for him and all of a sudden over the generations faith has become something that has been tailored has been tailored to suit our needs all of a sudden it's become a, a fashion of some kind a designer label of some kind. It's become around what we want it to be. It's become a convenient faith. 
In other words, I will give my life to Jesus in the areas that are most convenient. And all of a sudden, Christianity has been defined or has been watered down to this thing that is of convenience for us. In other words, if it touches an area of our life that is too sensitive or too difficult to give up or to surrender to God, then we leave it alone. And that's called a convenient faith. That's not true faith. But when God calls us, he calls us and calls us in everything of our lives to give over to him, even when it's not convenient, even when it doesn't feel good. Because what God is calling us to is to live outside of ourselves and into the purpose that he's brought us on this earth for. And we're so limited, we're so short-sighted when we see our lives simply about our own breath and what we do and what we earn and who we are and our reputation. And we see we're so short-sighted in these things that are going to rob us of life and eventually destroy us at death. So thank God these disciples were able to look way beyond who they were. They used to be fishermen, fishermen, just going about their life catching fish. This was their profession. This was their whole career. This was this what they saw life was. I'm just going to catch fish all my life. And all of a sudden, here they are at the temple, at the gate called Beautiful, speaking to a man who couldn't walk from birth, about to give him life. Wow. Because all of a sudden they tapped into truly why they were here. And do you know what you see from that? You see a people filled with wonder and amazement. As I look, and this man begs him, verse, I think it's verse 3. Uh, yeah, verse 3. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asks for money. Verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him. With John and Peter, they said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I love it. All of a sudden, this man is, is asking them for money, and Peter and John are able to look way beyond his physical need and be able to say, you know what, his physical need for money, but be able to say, you know, I've got to, I can see that in you there is something far greater that the Lord Jesus Christ can give you, and we want to give you this. This isn't Peter and John saying, hey, he's not touching my money. That's not them saying that. They're thinking, oh, no, we don't, we don't want to give him money. That's not, that's not a story about not giving this man money. This is a story about saying to this man, you know what, I can give you, we can give you, God can give you something far greater than what you think you need. He can give you, he can give you life. He can give you the capacity to walk. He can give you, get, get up on your feet and to do the things that he's called you to do. And he says, you know what, I don't have silver and gold. Man, I don't know what his name is. I don't have silver and gold. But I tell you what, what I do have, I'll give to you. So in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And here we see two things beautiful working together. The glory of God and the helping of man. Get up and walk. And in the name of Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture. That what these disciples were able to do was to look upward and glorify God. And to look outward and help this man. Look what happens. Look what happens. Verse 7. Um, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones 
received strength. I love this beautiful picture because I wonder what God is trying to tell us here. And you may take different things from this, but I want you to picture something in this story. What happens is God does a miracle in this man's life. God does a miracle in this man's feet and he's able to give him strength in his feet, strength in his ankles that he's able to get up. But who grabs him? Peter or John put out their hand and they lift him up. And I love this. It's a beautiful picture. Again, I wonder, why does God give us these details? Why does God want to give us these beautiful details where the disciples are saying to him, come on, get up. And they grab him by the hand and they help him out, get him on his feet, and God does a beautiful miracle in his life. Because again, I think what God is trying to tell us wonderfully is that I will do the great work through you, but let them touch the hand of God. Let them experience a touch from heaven through you. Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go and lift them up in time of need, but go and do it to the glory of God. And watch me work miracles through these experiences. Am I talking about people getting their health back? Whatever God wills. I'm not specifically focused on that. But more importantly, in all the physical needs that people have, we are called to give when we can and we have the capacity and everyone's going to have a different capacity to give it different ways. But at the end of the day, we need to remember in whatever capacity we give to others and show them a bit of the touch, a a, a heart from heaven, we need to remember that their deepest, deepest need is a spiritual one. Their need for Christ. And this man wasn't just getting his feet back, but I believe he was getting his faith back. Because he gets up and he walks and he leaps. And what does he do? He praises God. And so what John and Peter were able to do here was to live out the purpose that God had for them because they were glorifying God and they were out helping man. Verse 8. So he, he leapt, he, so he leaping up and stood and walked and entered into the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened, at what had happened to him. So here they were, working the miracles of God because they were able to see life beyond themselves and they were able to help this man, yes, physically, but they were able to help this man with his deep need spiritually. And people came and they were filled with amazement and wonder. How is this even possible? Because it's a touch of God. It's the hand of God. Through who? Well, through ordinary men, fishermen, because they're not anything special. They're not looking to somehow get the applause of men. They're not waiting to somehow become better at what they do. They just trusted God. And in trusting God, they were able to fulfill this great purpose that God had for them in life. They, brothers and sisters, could look up and glorify God. And they could look out and find they were helping man. They could get their eyes off life as being all about them. And this is where life begins. Oh, the work didn't stop. It's beautiful. It just kept going. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them into the porch, which is called Solomon's, 
greatly amazed. And you notice what's going on here. I love this picture. Because here they were, people are running, and the man who's now been healed is holding on to them. You get this image? He's holding on. He's, he's like, it's like he continues to get the help of God's people. He's holding on. He's just got himself healed, but he's not quite ready to let go. And that's okay. He's holding on. He's experiencing. He's experiencing life as it starts in Christ, if you like. And then Peter is able to share the wonderful news of Jesus. And I want to finish with this. He once he shares this wonderful news and he says this to the people. So when Peter saw it, verse 12, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel? Why are you surprised at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Well, why are you looking at us? It's like we're something special. We're just doing what God's asking us to do. We're just walking in the purpose of God. We're just being faithful to him, taking our eyes off ourselves and doing what he's asked us to do. He goes, why are you looking at us as if like we're special? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers who um, sorry, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go, that God has glorified Jesus, but you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, who God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And in his name and through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And so Peter ends with this, well, Peter continues with this beautiful uh, preaching, if you like. You know what? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's happened here. The man you denied and you killed, God raised him. Because you're not stronger than God. You're not bigger than God. God raised him. God glorified him. And it was through this name, this Jesus, and through faith in this name, This man has been made strong. And what's he asking them to do? He's asking them to turn from life as they think it to be. Their denial of what God is and who Jesus is. And to come back to a place where they give glory to Jesus for who he is. And to also have faith in his name and stop chasing the things of this world that they are putting their faith in and turn their faith toward the one who's able to give them life and they will experience life again. They will have strength again to do the things of God. He's saying, you know what? You make a choice. You can keep running away or you can run toward him. You can keep planning life the way you think it is, and keep denying the Son of God who God raised from the dead and and never experience God the way he's designed you to experience him, or you can come back in faith in his name and experience life the way he's called you to experience. You need to have for him to have mercy on you and for you to have faith in him. So you make a choice. We can keep 
living lives, chasing things, hoping, hoping that somehow we'll be satisfied in life. Or we could stop running and we can turn and say, God, enough. Enough trying to eat on things that at the end of the day don't even satisfy. Enough trying to munch on things that really at the end of the day are not fulfilling you. But to come back and I now and by faith to come back and say, Lord, now, by faith, I want to live for the glory of God and for the helping of man. That now, by faith, I want to live my life so others may see your goodness, your mercy, your love, your kindness, because I live my life for you. This is my life, Lord. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, I believe that um, we set, a, we set a, 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 a foundation for our lives that no one can rub us off before it's fragile. But in Christ, it's solid. And no one can rub us off. And my prayer for you today, my prayer for you this year, my prayer for you is that, prayer for all of us, is that what we do is begin to see, we begin to align our desires with the will of God and truly find the fulfillment that he's called us to. Let's pray. Let's pray for uh, God's word to continue to work in our hearts and lives. Let's pray that uh, uh, his Holy Spirit may uh, speak the things that have to be spoken this morning to be able to take our eyes off ourselves, uh, to stop chasing the things of life that we think mean something and rather put our faith, solid, solid faith in the one who is able to raise us up into the very purpose that he's got us here for. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I thank you for the beautiful testimony of, our, of Peter and John and their, and their willingness to walk in the purpose that you had for them. Father, I thank you for the great miracle in this man. And I thank you, Lord, that he was able to t- experience a touch from heaven. Father, I pray that our whole lives, that our whole lives may be lived solely for your glory and always for the helping of others, Father. They may see you and that they're Uh, that their hearts may be drawn to you, uh, that their lives may be found in you, that they may find mercy from you and forgiveness from you um, and to know you and to know you well. So, Father, I pray, uh, send us out as your people in this way for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.